0: This episode of the Knicks Film School podcast is brought to you by our new sponsor, Oakley. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me. Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not just the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to Oakley.com for more information today.
1: Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, Jonathan of the Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. Coming at you on uh, a Wednesday, Wednesday in which the NBA Finals continues tonight between the Denver Nuggets and the Miami Heat. Uh, big game, certainly. Either way, uh, coming off of Miami's Game 2 win. Uh, if Miami wins this sets up uh boy sets up a uh <laughs> it sets up a must win almost denver uh, game for denver in game 4 um and then on the flip side i guess if denver wins game 3 i mean certainly it sets up a must win for miami in game 4 but i think a miami win would have a little bit more a little bit more impact a little bit more import so to speak because i think I think after Denver's game two, I don't want to call it a collapse, but whatever happened to them um, late in that game, um, I don't know. I think I I expect a better performance in game three from them. I mean, if there were, were ever a time to kind of turn it on in this series in a way that they haven't really done so, especially defensively, um, it would be it would be. Uh, in Game Three, so we'll see what happens. But either way, uh, kind of feels like the finals start in earnest uh, tonight. Uh, anyway, that's enough general NBA talk uh, coming your way right now. There's a lot of Knicks discussion with someone who has never been on the pod before, but that is uh, certainly not before because he is unqualified. In fact, he might be the most qualified person to come on this podcast and talk Knicks basketball, and that's Steve Popper of Newsday. Uh, Steve, as we talk about a little bit at the top of the show and then throughout the the episode, he has been covering the Knicks for a very long time, Um, off and on, but mostly on for really the last 30 years, uh, 30, excuse me, 30, 33 years because he started covering them in 1990 as he talks a little bit about on the show. And uh, he has as good a read on all goings on at the garden, um, as anyone. And, uh, I I gotta say there were probably we recorded the interview a few hours ago. There were probably four or five times throughout this, uh, uh, we talked for like 45 minutes. There were probably four or five times where I genuinely raised my eyebrows because he said something that I was not expecting to hear or, uh, maybe not expecting to, um, to hear in the way that he he phrased it, uh, but I'll just I'll just say that this was a good one, and uh, I think you will enjoy this episode, and I think you will definitely gain quite a bit of insight about where the Knicks are at, where they stand, where they want to go, um, and and several other things uh, throughout our conversation. And then we end with some fun stuff uh, with uh, Steve, kind of reflecting back on his many years on the beat. And uh, giving some, you know, some a little bit of dose of history in terms of guys he's enjoyed interviewing and big moments he's seen, and uh, we even talked about Mello before the end of the show, which was uh, particularly fun. So, uh, without further ado, here is my interview with the one and only Steve Popper. Joining me now on the Next Film School podcast, somehow, some way, this person is a first time guest. Uh, I've. <laughs> I've long admired him from afar. And for one uh, brief season that ended uh, abruptly in a pandemic, I got to share uh, the workplace with him uh, covering the Knicks in person a few, a few times, like a handful of times and uh, seeing him work um, up close was uh, really a treat and also uh, quite a learning experience for someone who has been continually trying to make their way in this, in this weird World, world of ours, covering the NBA and the Knicks. Um, Newsdays, Steve Popper. Hello, sir. How are you?
2: Nice to see you. Good, good to be here.
1: Um, thank you for coming on. I really don't know how it's been this long. That I mean, I what are we like six hundred something episodes in? And you, you are. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. You are the senior Knicks beat writer <laughs> at the moment, right? Because a certain someone is, is no longer uh, has that on their their current resume.
2: Uh, well, first of all, the the first 590 or something. I think I told you I'd come on when they were good, when things <laughs> got good, and it took a while. Uh, That's the reason. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I am. Uh, it's a way of saying I'm old, and uh, I actually did the Knicks before Berman. I, I took an eight year kind of hiatus in the uh, where I was doing baseball and general college. For the record, for the record. Um, uh, rec- recruited by Woj over there, uh, really? Yeah, he was he was our, our general columns at the Record and a good friend of mine, um, and uh, so followed him over there and and did baseball and then columns and some other stuff. Did basketball there too, um, but yeah, yeah, it was uh, I, I my first uh, Knicks coverage was the 1990 uh, playoffs before most were born uh, with John McLeod coaching. Uh, but, uh, you know, covered the NBA finals in 94, uh, you know, that, but, but really, um, you know, came back to cover the Knicks full-time 2011.
1: Yeah. Cause I, I remember, um, I'm just going backwards. I remember when you were, you went to like the lead sports person for the whole, for all of the record. And then, but that didn't last long. Cause then you got, you went over to Newsday, right? Not too long after that.
2: Yeah. I I I thought I would never be on the road again. Never. (laughs) It's it's sort of that they dragged me back in, you know, just, just when I thought I'm out.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, there's no better person to, to talk about this team in general. I'm especially excited to pick your brain now because you've seen so much and you've been around the garden. And I feel like, and I'm curious to your thoughts on this. I feel like the garden is someplace like, and again, I I know like one, like one of 1% to the extent of what you do, but like until you're there every day and you kind of see how it operates and you get a feel for what it is to be in those walls, you can't really, can't really tell like what's really going on. And I feel like you have a better feel for, than just about anyone. And you've seen some highs and you've seen a lot of lows. So I'm, yeah. I'm just curious, you know, Right now, as you're kind of thinking about this this year um, with the Knicks, like, what? How do you how do you grade like the pulse of this team at the moment?
2: Well, I guess the first thing I'd say, as far as what it's like to be around the Knicks when they're good, you know, this as as somebody who's created an industry here out of being a fan, it's an amazing place, an amazing fan base um, for all the craziness that happens there. The loyalty is overwhelming. You know, I, I did as I mentioned before. I covered the Mets for a while, and there were times. You know, August and September, it would be, you know, the play, the place with the best, the shortest line for a Shake Shack in New York, um, and then that was like the the what you go there for. Um, the Garden is never that. The Garden is every night can be something special and amazing, and you know whether you know Lin sanity pops up out of nowhere. Yeah or, you know, just, just things happen there at the Garden and it's a special night. Players from opposing teams treated as someplace special. So so it always is that no matter what problems there are at the top. Um, and so I, I think this year, you know, it, it kind of was, it, it was a throwback year in, in the way that they were regarded by the fan base. That game three against Cleveland, the, the, oh the first postseason game here, you know, was one of the great atmospheres I've ever felt there. Um, you know, I'd put it up there with Linsanity with, uh, the game after the fight against Miami in 97, uh, was a great atmosphere. Um, you know, just, uh, and this was like that. It was, it was loud. It was, and and it was just, you could tell it wasn't the tourist crowd anymore and it wasn't the business suit crowd. It was the Nick fan crowd there. Um, so I, I thought this year seemed to capture it. And, And I think that's because of what they are. They're not... You know, a superstar team. It's they're a good team of good hardworking guys. And and some of them you hate on certain nights as a fan base. You know, and they want to get Julius out of town, they want to get RJ out of town. But these guys are hard workers and everybody loves Brunson. Everybody loves loves Josh Hart. Um, I, I think what they are is the kind of team that New York fans like.
1: And you I mean, you I couldn't have said it better. Uh we we talked all season long about where this team ranked in terms of from like our, our perspective as fans. not forget the nineties. The nineties were its own animal and that was a it was it was it was never just one season. It was you know it was a decade, uh, and really longer than that if you go for how long Ewing was here. But like we we would go back to like the We Here season, which was kind of weird because it was tied into the pandemic and like that that whole thing. And then we eventually, towards the end of the year, we began just comparing it to 2012 13, which you again had been, you know, um, back covering them for a few years. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot. Could, if you had to compare the two years, which, which do you think kind of, you know, I don't know, stands out more or, or was more emblematic of like, you know, when you think of New York basketball, like you think of, of this?
2: You, you know, I, I think this team was more a team that the fans loved because that team. First of all, there was a very mixed reaction in New York, I think, on Carmelo. You know, I loved covering him. I thought he's a great player, a great talent. He had a great season. Uh, But all those guys around him were sort of like guns for hire, you know, aging guys at the end of their career. You know, this team, you know, again, whether you love them or not, you know, RJ Barrett is their guy. Mitchell Robinson's their guy. Uh, Brunson is basically family to this team, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, you, you know, and, and, and Julius Randall again, you know, for, for, for what people may feel or not feel about him, he's the guy who took the money to come to New York and stand there as a star. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I know everybody wants to run him out of town, but if you told somebody, you know, four years ago, you're going to get a guy who's going to be all NBA twice in the next four years. I, I think they, they can be <laughs> excited to take that and at a reasonable price. Oh way.
1: very reasonable. Um yeah.
0: What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about Factor. During the spring season, you need wholesome, convenient meals to energize you for warmer, more active days and keep you on track for reaching your goals. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and tackle everything on your to-do list. Too busy to cook this May? With Factor, skip the trip to the grocery store and skip the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back outside and soak up the warmer weather. Going off script for this next part because I personally can't say enough how clutch Factor has been over the last two weeks. I'm talking Jalen Brunson clutch. I'm talking Allen Houston with four seconds against the Miami Heat in 1999 clutch. Whether it's a huge playoff game followed by a late night post game, I barely have time to prep and cook anything. So. Every time a post game has ended, I grab a Factor meal from the fridge, put it right in the microwave, and in two minutes, I've got my dinner ready to go. The future Mrs. Claudio loves Factor as well. With her busy schedule with meetings and writing reports all day, being just two minutes away from a healthy, well-cooked, pre-prepared meal is so convenient. This May, get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered right to your door. Don't hesitate. Head to Factormeals.com slash Filmschool50 and use code Filmschool50 to get 50% off your first box. Again, that's code Filmschool50 at Factormeals.com slash Filmschool50 and get 50% off your first box. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. I think you
1: you hit on it like you know, and I don't even think you mentioned like quickly and like Grimes, like the, you know the fact that these guys were and uh, Obi um, that they were drafted by the team, and it, it's funny you mentioned Brunson and, and Randall because obviously those guys came as free agents, but in a, in a way, doesn't it feel like Julius Randall has almost always been a Nick? I know he was a Laker for two <laughs> and, a, and a Pelican for it, one, it, but
2: right. It's yeah. amazing. He he became Julius Randall here, I think, yeah, because this was this was the time where he was given the ball and he was the guy and uh, he, he was you know he was not an all NBA player. He was not an all star in those other places. Um, he kind of grew here and, and look, I, I think he was a rental when he came here. I think the thought was same as it was with Marcus Morris and Bobby Portis. These are pieces that we could, we couldn't get what we wanted, and we're going to flip these for for different pieces, which is you know not a bad fallback plan. Um, and I think there wasn't a great market for him the first year. And I think the thought was the second year he's going to be traded before the deadline. And he turned out to be an all NBA player. We here, and we, you know, no. became a leader, a leader of the group, uh, and, and got an extension out of it, got everything, uh, to me, to me, you know, he, he is a Nick right now. And I, I think he probably will be for the foreseeable future.
1: I, I think he will be too. And that's the first kind of really basketball thing or, or, or team specific thing I was gonna ask you about is is Randall because you're right. A lot of people I think after the playoffs and honestly if I'm if I'm being if I'm keeping it a buck here, it started before that but because I know you remember the the games before the ankle injury, the original ankle injury, you know, against Miami, there was, okay, here's one technical next game, another technical next game, another technical. And now we're pushing Emmanuel quickly. And it was like all of the bad, (laughs) (laughs) all of the bad juju. No, No pun intended uh, from last year was like starting to creep. And I know just for me, again, as a fan, like I got on, the podcast at one point earlier in this year, I forget. Randall had one of his crazy good games, and I said, "Listen, whatever happens from here on in, this this is our guy, man. We got He's our guy. He's earned that." And it's amazing how quickly you, you want to start to go back on it when you see him revert back to some of the other stuff, which is why. And this is a kind of an unfair question, but you've you've been around long enough, so I could throw you an unfair question <laughs> when when you when you're thinking about how the franchise is looking at Randall. And I agree, he's not going anywhere. How do you think that they kind of parse out the the basketball part of it with the I don't I feel bad calling it volatility, but like you know, let's call a spade a spade. He's someone that kind of goes off the handle sometimes. Like, how, how do you think they look at him as a player, as a person, like, and all that comes with all that?
2: Well, I'll say this first of all: if, if you know Julius, and as much as we in the media are allowed to know him. But talking to other guys who know well, he's a smart, personable. He is not a hot-headed, you know, fly off the handle guy. He is, you know, as much probably as as Jalen Brunson, a leader of this team. Really, and 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 he's, I I don't think he's got that in the locker room that way. But he is a voice um, that is not. Again, he's not regarded as you know Dennis Rodden. What's this guy going to do next? (laughs) He's he's thought of as an intelligent. Basketball smart guy, um, and I, I think that's how the team views him. Um, they know him, obviously. You know, they, they've known him, you know, since Kentucky. Some of these people here, sure. you know, through being his agent um, or you know recruiting him to Kentucky, um, you know, they, they've been lifers with him, and I, I think they know what he is and and, and like it. And I think you know, I, I hear rumors sometimes that you know he's not beloved in the locker room sometimes because of some of these things that happen, It's just such an odd thing the way it happened. You know, last year there was, I, I don't know, some, sometimes I, I wonder and you know, we, we forget these guys are human and they're not machines and they're not just yeah. a statistical analysis. Um, and we don't know what troubles they have, you know, off the court in their personal life, you know, what someone is in their ear telling them. Julius is a guy who was beloved three seasons ago. Last year, uh, two years ago, to then, you know, he's struggling, he looks, you know, the body language is bad and fans are kind of turning on him and he turns on the fans and, how, you know, how that accelerated to that is still something I don't understand. Uh, and then for ha- him to talk about it so openly this yeah. year, be- before the All-Star break and, you know, when he, when he became an All-Star again, um, he, he really thoughtful about it, what, what, what he knew, what he had to, uh, how he had to come out of it, what he had to do. Um, body language, and not for us, not for the fans, for his teammates. Um, and then to revert to it again, as you said, and, you know, the temper stuff with the referees and uh, it, it's hard to understand how it becomes that. Uh, and, and look, I, I think he knows, and we all know where he's going to hear it all summer. If he turns on any social media uh, after the playoffs, you know, whatever the reasons were, if it was the matchups, if it was the, Injury, you know, whatever it was, you know, he's going to hear that he failed again in the postseason. Um, It makes it a tough spot for him. Um, He's a hard guy to figure, but I I think they regard him front office coach. And and I think on the court, they regard him as more than his numbers. One, One of the things that Thibodeau loves in his setup is... Can you draw two defenders? Can you create openings for other people? And that's basically the Julius versus Obi thing. Obi is a, a super talented athlete. You, you look at him and he's got, he led the nation scoring, but Obi doesn't create a double team ever. No. Julius creates a double team all the time. Um, and, and, you know, does he always pass properly out of it? Maybe not, but yeah, he, he yeah. is. And, and, and and sometimes it's the guys who are catching the ball or costing him assists. But, you know, what he does, the 25, 10, and 4, um, is is something that not a lot of guys in the league can do. He can be, you know, should he be your number one? Probably not. Should he be your number two? Maybe. It'd be great if there was a, a superstar with Brunson and Randall beside him. But, you know, that's the chase for last summer and this summer.
1: I was, I was about to say, no need to beat around the bush. You brought it up. So... Um, it's interesting because, like, I, I feel like it's been for you know forever that this superstar, even before this regime came aboard. I mean, and honestly, even before before Mills, you could argue um, there was you know th- there's always this lore. I mean, go back to Donnie Walsh with you know the the chase of of LeBron James, and I know he eventually got Amari and, and Mellow, but like this, okay, when are we going to get the guy? When are we going to get the superstar? And it. I'm trying to the biggest thing I'm trying to wrap my head around going into this summer is there doesn't feel like there's a sense of urgency necessarily. But at the same time, I do think that there is an acknowledgement, even for like the biggest diehards, that there's, you know, something of a ceiling on this team is currently constructed. And, you know, uh, I know, you know, as well as anyone, the new CBA restrictions on or uh, restrictions on, you know, it's not a hard cap, but it's essentially a hard cap. And, you know, the Emmanuel Cookies of the world and the Quentin Grimes of the world, these guys are going to get more and more expensive. So in your estimation, like, do you think that they are still that they are operating from a position of strength or do you get a sense that I'm talking about the front office? Do you get the sense that maybe they are feeling like, okay, we're not we're we're not going to be desperate. But you know we're going to be every bit as keen on on seeing what opportunities are out there as we ever were.
2: Well, well, I'd split it two ways. One, I think there was some desperation early last season that Thibodeau was on a hot seat, and I think <laughs> um, some in the front office probably knew that they might be too. Um, but but look, what they did turned out pretty well, and gives you uh, you know I I, I'm, I I know fans will say sometimes you guys are negative in the media. I'm actually probably more positive about this team than, than most uh, fans are because I, I think they're in a pretty good spot. You know, they have their stars, who I think are all reasonably priced guys. Um, they're young. Um, they have a ton of assets. I, but I don't see... I, I know something always pops up. Right now, I don't see anyone who you're thinking, let's give up all our assets to get this guy. No, really. um, but, but, but that said, I, I think they do have to decide on moves. I think they know what the cap is going to be. I think they know, you know, what the contract situations are. I wouldn't be surprised if Obi's moved this summer for a draft pick or something like that, yeah. uh, where you go, where you save money, you go cheaper into the future. Um, I, I, I think they've got they've got to make a decision on Emmanuel quickly, and I think as painful as that decision may be, uh, it may be that he wants to be a starter somewhere you know, he maybe deserves to be a starter somewhere. He wants to be paid like a starter and he's never gonna be a starter here. Um so does, you know, do they pay him that 20 something million a year, you know, extension? Or do they move him when his value may never be higher than it is right now coming off runner up as six man of the year? Um I, I think they've got to make those decisions. I, I think they've got other pieces. I think RJ Barrett is gonna be available in a deal. Um Again, a reasonably priced contract for a, for a guy, but, I, but I, I'm sort of like when we talk about what this team is and where the front office has them, I, I don't know that I'm so quick to trade RJ Barrett as much as we see his flaws and maybe he, you know, maybe this is what he is and he's never going to get better. But a part of me is like, he's turning 23 this summer. He's averaging 20 a game. He has the potential to be a very good defensive player. He took a step backward, obviously, uh, this season. Um, I know they love Quentin Grimes. Like, you know, I think, could I see them going forward another year just as they are? Absolutely. But I think they've got to think into the future, the cap space, the the contract situations. And I think that may uh, push them to maybe package, you know, you package it quickly and a draft pick along with Fournier's deal or uh, Derek Rose's deal. And and you get a, maybe a slight upgrade of a, a player, you know, that, that three for one or, you know, uh, if it's Rose's contract that somebody could just throw away, you know, if you do it before the deadline. Um, I, I think, I think there are moves to be made here, but I don't think it's the last summer, you know, how, how far can we go into our, you know, assets and get Donovan Mitchell? I, I don't see that right now. And it may pop up. Somebody may say they want out and demand a trade. And, you know, I, I think they'll, they're ready and listening. And I, I think they don't want to be caught in this situation last year where, I think Dejounte Murray caught everybody in the league a little bit by surprise. Um, really, I, I, I think I think teams felt that that was sort of a uh, the connections between Atlanta's front office and San Antonio's front office. I don't think people expected that deal to go down the way it did. Um, you know, I think a lot of teams would have liked to pay that price for him. Um, you know, does Shea Gilgis Alexander become available at some point? Uh, maybe I don't know. Um, but but do you give everything you have for uh, Bradley Beal? Uh, I don't think so. Um, just not the timeline with what with everything else you have here.
1: Yeah, it feel like it's funny you you mentioned Beal. I wrote about Beal actually today for the newsletter, and I'm like, you know, you look at the price tag, you look at the age, you look at the fact that he's missed 25 games a year now for the last four okay. years, and I've talked to Fred your 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 colleague Fred Katz about this several times about how Beal, you know he led the league in games played for a couple of consecutive seasons. And it seemed like that was a real point of pride for him. And he maybe let that get the better of him, or he maybe tried to play in some instances where he shouldn't. Um, but like, what do you in this NBA economy, I'll call it like, what do you give up for a guy who, when he's healthy, I think he, I think Beal still, you could argue he's a top, let's say 20 player, maybe top 15, if you want to push it. But at the number and at the age, it's like, if you're the Knicks, you're, maybe you give up some players, but you probably don't want to give up a whole lot in terms of draft assets. Or do you give up, you want to keep the players and give up the draft? It's like, and there's, I feel like Beale's just one name, but so many of the names that I feel like we're going to hear this summer are ones that you could ask these similar questions. Like, how much do you really want to give up for that guy? How much do you really want to give up for that guy? Do you get the same kind of read on the league right now?
2: I I do. And and I also think with the Knicks, I I think, you know, as much as he may have been in trouble earlier last year, I think Tom Thibodeau, has a huge voice in this front office, and mm-hmm. one, one thing he loves is guys who are available. <laughs> you know that, that that's why he loves Julius and he loves RJ, yeah. he loves Jalen because you know you basically have to cut off a limb for them to take off. Um, you know th- that's a huge value to him, and and to have a guy who's not there, you know I, I I know that you know I hear from people you know close to him, I don't hear it directly from him, but you know hear that you know when he sees somebody out in the playoffs he sort of got that Pat Riley, you know, could you give me, well, could you give me one, one, one minute, if you had one possession? The
1: Charles, was that a Charles Smith story? The
2: the Charles Smith. Smith. Can we, can can we curse on here? Uh, That was the Charles Smith thing. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, so that, so that, I, I think, I think Thibodeau is of that mind, you know, get dressed, get ready, give us what you got. You know, we'll go to the next guy when we have to, but, if you can be out there, be out there for us. And I don't think, I don't think he loves seeing guys who sit 25
1: games a year. Um, I, it's funny because the the day before I wrote about another guy who sits about 25 games a year, Christoph Porzingis, <laughs> and actually 25 is probably a little light for him. Um, but uh, well, it, uh, r- real quick because you brought it up and it got me thinking. I think a lot of fans. I'm a big Tippett tibid- 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 guy, just so you know, in case you haven't heard. A lot of fans like, <laughs> tibid- are you? I I am. I I am. I I worship.
2: I advocated, I advocated for hiring him and, uh, and think he's changed the culture there. And, you know, people will critique his offensive game plan or whatever. And, but I'm like, you're a contender. Now you were a joke before he got here. You have a, you are a team now that guys want to come play for. And and part of that is Thibodeau. Part of that is Jalen Brunson. Um, Josh Hart looks like he's never been happier in his life. Um, and it's I think it's a little bit of both of them. And, and look, well, you know, we say what we say about Julius Randall, but more than once this year, he said something, and we're like, "You sound like a Thibodeau puppet." And he's like, <laughs> "He says that, doesn't he?" Uh, and he just, he, you know, he repeats Thibodeau. He's heard it for four years. Um, and I and I think, uh, as I said, I think he's got a big voice in the front office. I think I, I've heard from multiple people Quentin Grimes was was his draft pick uh, that he really had pushed from that McBride was the same. Um he wants a certain kind of guy and, and he's done a good job of getting those guys here you know again he he absorbed his, the slings and arrows for Cam Reddish but I, I, I challenge people to say this who's a young player that Thibodeau didn't play and went somewhere else and flourished I don't think it's ever happened
1: Um, no and there's there's a reason for that. Um, so my question about, about Tibbs, because again, you know better than anyone. Cause I feel like he gets the brunt of it and it is like, we know how Tibbs is. And I think there's been this constant, like anytime a guy, you know, plays too many minutes or like last season, it was like, you know, why is Julius still playing down the stretch of a lost season? We want to see Obi top and the whole thing. Do you think the, the, the front office is, um, how do I put this? Are they like complacent in letting Thibodeau be Thibodeau? Do they love the fact that Thibodeau goes full Thibodeau? Are is there maybe a little bit more push and pull than we realize? Like, how do you think I guess I'll just ask, how do you think that relationship is right now between Thibodeau? I I think
2: it's great. I think I think they're successful. I think some of the voices in the front office that may not have been advocates for him have kind of been pushed down because how do you argue with success? And look, you know, we hear this all the time. They, the you know, play too many minutes, but again, Knicks players don't sit because they're tired or fail because they're tired. Julius Randall had a freak ankle injury five games left in the season. Guys turn their ankles. I, I, you know, I look at other teams, you know, where guys are load managing. I mean, the Clippers have load managed Kawhi Leonard for seasons now. And it seems like I play as many NBA games as he does. It, it, it's, it just, I, I don't see where the science and this is what Thibodeau says, where's the science that tells you that sitting a guy, you know, back-to-back games, just sitting him 20 games helps you down the stretch. It just, there isn't a science that shows it. It's, you know, his guys are ready to play 48 minutes. And, you know, you look at, um, again, we, you know, we, we talked about Julius Randall after the second ankle injury, he was averaging, I think 37 minutes a game the last five games of the of the Miami series. He gets in there and he plays, gives you everything he's got. I think, you know, uh Jalen Brunson, you know, will play forty seven minutes a game. I, I don't think um, you know, the ankle injury to quickly was because he played 50 some minutes, you know, earlier this season. It's because the amount of bio dove into his leg. Yeah. Oh. And that and that can happen in the first minute. It can happen in the last minute. And you know, there's just no I, I just don't see any evidence that Thibodeau playing guys minutes has hurt them, you know. Unless you're saying Derrick Rose a million years ago that, that that had something to do with it,
1: and I, I don't know. I'm I'm curious because you again you bring it up the, the Clippers thing, and there's the, the most obvious example, but there's other obviously there's other examples throughout the league. Sure. I wonder, do you think that there are kind of a subset of players, even maybe a subset of of like the higher echelon players that see the way kind of tips has these guys going about their business and has uh, leaders on the floor. Like you mentioned Brunson Randall all the way down the line that looks at what the Knicks are doing here and, and uses that as maybe part of the reason that they would want to come and, and be a part of this.
2: I, I, I don't know. I, you know I'd, be, I'd be guessing speaking for guys, but I know guys who are here don't complain about the minutes. The okay. Guys who aren't That's playing important. big minutes are, are asking for the minutes, but, but they're not there to be had. I I, I think, you know, and these guys, you know, it, it's, a, I've said this for a decade now, it's guys talk in the league. They, they summer together, they work out together with, with, you know, similar trainers for agencies. I, I thought that was Phil Jackson's biggest mistake was, you know, trying to alienate and, and, and mistreat Carmelo Anthony, who might've been the most popular player in the league at the time, um, with among players. Um, he's just a beloved guy. Every city we go to guys, hugging him, love them. Um he was just that guy, and and Phil made it a, a toxic place for him, which became toxic. New York became toxic for other players who didn't mm-hmm. want to be a part of that and join join in what Phil was doing. Um, I think that's changed, and Thibodeau is a part of this current group, and so I, I think you have to give him some credit or not blame, mm-hmm. you know, the other way. I, I don't think players think, you know. I, I guess there has been one or two we've heard, you know, where there is some. Uh, there was a poll last year of players <laughs> and, and, and Thibodeau, I think, topped the guys that wouldn't want to play. But look, you, they hear him from the other sideline. And, and look, we're not in practices anymore like we used to be. But we were and and I know the voice and I talk to referees and everything about it. And he's he's actually a pretty well-liked guy around the league uh, among players, among refs, among coaches. Uh, we, we hear the bark and the growl and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think outside of that, he's, he's actually pretty well liked.
1: That's good to know. Uh, a couple more about this team, and then a few more general things. And I promise I got you out of here. Um, you mentioned quickly before you mentioned that he wants to start. He went on the record with the, uh, you know, Jake Fisher of, of Yahoo Sports earlier this year, and he said, "Eventually, I want to start." Do you, do you get the sense that? I don't want to see that. Say that is he in their long-term plans? Like, do you, do you think the Knicks are in his long-term plans? Maybe, maybe I'll phrase it that way. I mean, I know money talks, but what do you think?
2: I I think it's 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 got to be both sides, and and that's sort of why I think that I, I could see him being moved this summer as much as anybody on the team because he's a great he's a great he's a great value right now. He's an asset. He's awesome. That, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, do I think the Knicks? Would they benefit from keeping him as a sixth man? Absolutely. You, you, you love to have a guy like that, who's an energy guy, improved defensively this season in ways I never imagined, became a leader of that second unit defensively. Um, I, I think he was a game changer for them and just explosive score, all the things he did on the court, the, the communication. But all that said, he's a six man. He wants to be paid like a starter. You're going to have to start figuring out what that means to you hmm. cap-wise, hard cap, double apron, whatever it's called now. <laughs> Let um, apron Yeah. Right. It's it's insane. And, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to restrict things you can do. And you've got to decide, would you rather have quickly or would you rather turn quickly and two first rounders into what you believe is that guy who's going to get you to the next level? And, and look, we look at Miami's talent this year. I don't think it's any better than the Knicks talent. You know, I think no. you you can sort of match it up as, and, and, you know, Jimmy Butler is awesome and amazing and Bam is a great talent and they have good players. But I, I don't think you look at them and say the Knicks couldn't do what they're doing. Um, so could with growth, could RJ and quickly and Grimes, could you just keep this team intact, stability, grow together and be better? I, I think you can, but, but, but I don't think, uh, in the world of contracts and stuff i think i think that's more what you have to think here is slots and 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 what it's going to mean to you um, going forward what you you know what quickly is going to cost and is he as tradable when you pay him 24 million a year is he as tradable as he is right now as an asset um, i mean any team that's getting him knows they're going to extend him and they're going to it's going to cost them sure yeah um, but but you get a cheap season next year uh, you know i, I just think I, and, and look, we never know what's gonna happen. He could get hurt next year. He could struggle next year with the shooting. He ha- he has great value outside of the next this season. So I think that's an asset that is well thought of around the league that they can attach things to and maybe even I, I mean, I hate to say that you're using him to get rid of something else, but you can you know, you might be able to use him to get rid of Fournier's contract if you want.
1: Yeah, I mean I think you know, Fournier is like a, a you know, outgoing outgoing salary in a deal. It's you Know, but I it's, it's funny because of Fournier's comments, he sure seems to think he's going to be playing uh elsewhere next season. Um, which I
2: I agree with, and I understand why he said it. And he's yeah, he was a total pro the whole time, but I I, I would ask him this where <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean, and I yeah. think he has value, he is a good shooter, and he's he's a good guy to have in your locker room. Um, not a 19 but, million, but it's a lot, right? It's a lot of money to pay for a guy who who's just you know, you you can't play defensively.
0: Not every billionaire has the stamina, the dedication, or the fire to become the most unpopular owner in sports, but not everyone is James Dolan the owner of the New York Knicks. This is Reign of Error, a new podcast series that gives you a courtside seat for the controversies, scandals, and drama that seems to follow the infamous billionaire. Track Dolan's rise from aspiring musician to the throne of one of the most beloved franchises in sports. Along the way, he'll battle his own players, fans, celebrities, the New York media, politicians, even the Girl Scouts. Reign of Error unpacks the outlandish story over five riveting episodes detailing how Dolan became a lightning rod of criticism in his quest to outdo his billionaire father, while also asking the $6 billion question, why doesn't he just sell the team? Check out Reign of Error wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. What's up, Knicks fans? Super excited to announce our new sponsor, Oakley. Express your style and build a look that's made just for you. Oakley's changing the game, and it's time to discover a whole new world of possibilities. Do you run, golf, train, or just want to look like your favorite athlete? Then you need to get yourself a pair of Oakleys today. Suited for everyday eyewear with frames and lenses allowing for an extension of self and an expression of your personality, with Oakley, there's more than meets the eye. Here at Knicks Film School, our motto is look good, play good and that's why oakley is the perfect partner for us not a one of us leaves the house in the morning without our oakley's and listen up because it's officially almost summer which means you need to upgrade your sunglass game now check out oakley.com to get yourself a pair today also did you know that oakley even offers prism lens technology now i know what you're thinking gmac what the hell is that Well, it's a technology solely used by Oakley and available for everyday settings as well. Want to know more? Head on over to Oakley.com and check it out for yourself. And while you're there, get yourself a pair of everyday glasses. That'll be sure to change your look for the better. When you wear Oakley, there really is more than meets the eye. Don't trust me. Try it for yourself. I've worn a lot of sunglass brands in my life, and I can assure you that Oakley is not only the best looking, but the best quality out there. Head on over to Oakley.com for more information today.
1: Real quick on Barrett, uh, how big do you think his playoff performance was for, for him, for the team, you know, or for, like for the front office in terms of maybe how they view him? Did any, any thoughts on that?
2: Hey, look, I, you know, I, I get asked by friends every day about, about these guys. And, and the one thing I say about Barrett is um, whether it's the one for 10 last game or the games before that that he played really well, he is, we talk about built for New York. He is unbothered by all of it. Uh, he's a no drama guy. You know, look, there's we we can go back to the draft and uh, you know how bad the Knicks felt falling number three, but there's no John Morant. You know, you, you will you will never find R.J. Barrett waving a gun around in a strip club. Um, you know, at four in the morning, that that just doesn't happen. He's um, and he plays unlike pros- Zion, it, right? He plays and he's a professional. Um, which in New York, there's something to be said for that. That you know, you never have to worry about him. So, so, so that's, that's the floor that I put for him is that he's a 20 point a game scorer who can handle New York, um, which is no small feat. No. Um, but, but I, but I think, you know, can he be better? He certainly has to be if he's going to be one of your core guys. Um, you know, it's obviously, I think, I think it's no secret that Thibodeau. Has more belief probably in Quentin Grimes as that future guy. Uh, he basically took away the the primary defensive assignment yep. from Barrett and handed it to Grimes as a, a guy with a barely you know a half a season behind him. Um, you know th- he was the guy this year, and I think they think he's going to become a good offensive player. Um, Grimes, I, talking I think about that now? Grimes, yeah. So, but 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 what we saw from Barrett, I think we saw a better defensive player in the postseason. I think we saw a guy who did the right things offensively, made the right passes. Um, can I, do I think you can win with RJ Barrett as a starter? I absolutely do. Sure. Um, I, I don't think he can be your star, but if he's your fourth guy, sure. You know, the one guy I wonder about is the guy that is the defensive anchor and we haven't mentioned is Mitchell Robinson. And Thibodeau loves having a defensive rim <laughs> protecting anchor. Um, but at some point, do you say, we cannot play four on five offensively anymore. You know, it's got to be a guy who can give you something. Um, look, if you look back at the tape of the last couple of games, Julius made. I think I think I counted four passes where he penetrated, drew double triple teams, and slipped a pass through traffic. And Mitch fumbled mm-hmm. the ball or got it. Couldn't get it up to the rim. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if that's you know, obviously, if you flip it up to the rim, his finishing is elite. But you've got to have a guy who can do win that. And that's where the, the temptation to pay 50-something million dollars for Karl-Anthony <laughs> Towns and have him be well, your five and, and completely lose that defense is, is tempting. But you better come up with some defensive game plan if that's your team.
1: I mean, you're, we're watching. Look at the Final Four. Who, who's playing center? Nikola Jokic, somewhat talented basketball player. Anthony Davis, somewhat talented basketball player. Out of bio, someone without the basketball player, and even Boston, you know, but they could toggle between all these different whether it's Hor- Horford, obviously not his, in his prime anymore, but could do a lot of things offensively. Rob Williams is like a version of Mitch, but even that that's a disservice to Robert Williams because Robert Williams could catch a ball, could make a pass, could like, you know, he, he could do some different things. So, yeah,
2: and I, and I would say that the Knicks comp to Jokic is never going to be Mitchell. I think their comp is Jalen Brunson. He does offensively what, I mean, I hate to say he's a foot shorter, but he does the same things offensively. He can, you know, amazing moves in the, in the paint and can find guys out of it and create his own shot and break your heart. Um, I, I, I think Mitchell has got a, you gotta get something and I don't think they, I don't see where they ever will look. I, I, I've seen him as a rookie when we used to see more practice and I've seen him do, do the work and, I just don't he's see it ever happening yeah. No, And I just don't think no, I don't I know how you live. it. And, and, and look, we talk about Jokic. I, I think Jokic should have been the MVP and he's the greatest offensive talent probably in the game. He's not a good defensive player. He's, he's a liability defensively. And somehow Mike oh Malone God. hides that and makes it work. And I think could Thibodeau make it work with a, with a lesser defensive player? I think he probably could. And, and, I mean, I mean, look, that's that's not a defensive team that I'd want to to count on if you say through towns in there in this place. Um, but but boy, it would certainly open things up offensively.
1: It's it sounds like you do you think that they're gonna make is that is that the guy they're no, gonna make no. the play for? I <laughs> d
2: I I don't. I, I just look I hear the name so much that I, I kinda in my head about it, but but I I think look, do I wanna pay Carl Anthony Towns sixty million dollars in, in his last year? Years. It, it, it's crazy. Um, but but look, that's what everybody's gonna be getting paid. Look, that's what Jalen Brunson's gonna be I was about to say and, and Julius is gonna be getting that if you wanna keep these guys. So those look, those are the decisions when we say make a move. It's not just does this guy make our team better? It's this guy's gonna be really expensive. How are we gonna work this out? Cap do we wanna pay Julius Randle 55 million or whatever it's gonna be? Um that those are decisions they're gonna to have to make and uh I, I know they've got a front office full of voices doing it. So some, somebody's in there figuring out how to how to make it work.
1: <laughs> Brock Aller, hard at work. Um yeah. th- three quick ones and then I gotta get you out of here. Uh who's your favorite player to ever uh interview in Nick's locker room?
2: Wow. Um I, look Carmelo was amazing to deal with. Uh, a day really? in, day out. Uh, amazing. Uh just personally, he's a fun guy. He's um he he was a great guy to deal with just you know, he was the guy who Whatever chaos was going on, he was willing to address it honestly. Um, look, you've been in their their press room, it's it's um, the silence is golden there at the garden. And and Less Carmelo was a guy that, yeah, Carmelo is a guy they could not and would not control. So I, I love dealing with Carmelo, I, I thought he was great. And, and I'll say this the group now are a pretty fun bunch of guys. Josh Hart is great to deal with, uh, Jalen. Uh the one thing, look, I I've told this to their management, to their PR people. The dumbest thing they ever did was not having a press conference with Jalen Brunson because he will never ever in his life say that something that gets no. in him in trouble or the team in trouble. Super smart guy, smarter than anyone in the building, probably. Um and 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 but I think you know RJ is the same thing, you know, they trot RJ out there every day because RJ, again, was groomed for this from the time he was a small child. Um Groom for interviews and handling New York and and all that and and so I, I think I think this is a pretty good group to deal with. Um, you know, again, aside from the interview room, they're they're fun. You know, a fun group and a good guy. Mitch is a lot of fun. Um, my, my one of my favorite players ever to deal with was PJ Brown. Who was well, maybe oh, the wow. nicest person? I was about maybe to say the nicest, a- the, 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 the nicest guy I've ever met, which a Nick fan wouldn't probably appreciate. <laughs> but I, co- I covered him with the Nets when he first came in the league. Sure, yeah, uh, su- super sure. guy, super guy. Yeah, good um, um, luck. We, we we we've had you know a good bunch of guys and and coaches. You know, Van Gundy was great to deal with, and and Tom. You know, other than the grumbling, is, is, is a pretty good guy.
1: You answered my second question, I think, already. Uh, I was going to ask you: You think Melo should have his jersey retired?
2: That's a tough one. Um oh, wow, okay. you know, yeah. I mean I No favoritism I,
1: from I, you from the guy you loved <laughs> covering. Okay.
2: <laughs> no, I don't. Uh look, I, I I've also I didn't cover, but I I, I covered Willis Reed as a GM and, and know the kind of guy he was and the legend he was. And and so to me that you know that's the bar when you're getting these top guys. Sure, so now yeah. I start wondering, is you know, is Melo really a Denver guy? Is he a New York guy? Um, you know. They didn't win. I, I, I don't put that on a guy. I, I, look, uh, to me, throw them both up there. Throw him and Bernard, Bernard up there and you've settled all the arguments. Um, Done. And, and, and they're, they're, look, they're greats. And, and, and Carmelo, again, he had his critics inside and outside the organization, but he was the face of the franchise on a franchise that hadn't had a face in a while. Um, he was the superstar player who was out there every day at the podium talking. So to me, that was that's worth something. And the guy's in the record books for a lot of things for them.
1: Very last one. Do you have a favorite moment covering the team at the Garden?
2: Oh, uh, boy. Um, Linsanity was, was a lot of or? Yeah. Look, Linsan, Linsanity was a lot of fun. Um, and you knew it was a temporary thing. Uh, the, you know, I, I think the Harvard education in him was... No one went to cash in, (laughs) Um, (laughs) sit out the postseason that year, cash in. Um, uh, uh, But he, you know, you'd watch it every night, you know, everywhere we went. It was an amazing show. Um, You knew you were watching something that the entire nation was riveted on. Um, Again, I'm old enough. I covered the 94 finals. I covered the, I was there the night of the OJ chase. Uh, (laughs) So so I've had a few. but but you know you just love love it when it's a good game and a good environment. You know you you like it when it's when it's like it was this year when the, when the crowd was into it and and you know it was it was winning and it was fun. Uh, again, you know I, I know Berman has probably been on here defending himself a few times that people think it's negative, and I and I say this, you know, we try and write what's happening, and if it's if it's a seventeen and sixty five team, you have to write it's a seventeen and sixty five team. If they're a 50 win team, you write it that way. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think when, when there are 54 win team, we wrote glowing stories that help get, you know, awards for guys when it's, when it's not that you have to be honest and, and write what's happening. Um, and, and not, and not just be a fan. So, so that, you know, look, it's, it's, uh, I, I think this group will go down that way. And, and I don't think we've seen the high end of this group yet. I, I just feel like youth, you know, Quentin Grimes is a guy they believe in. I believe in, I think is going to take another, another jump. Could, you know, could he become a Mikkel Bridges type? Maybe. Um, we've seen hints of what he can do offensively. You know, this is a guy that was a point guard in high school yep. um, and, and obviously an elite shooter. Um, I, I think if they stand pat, they get better. I think this group gets better as they are. So we'll see, but I, i I see that I sound more positive than most fans. So. I-
1: <laughs> You're, two things. Uh, I'll, I'll say goodbye. One, um, you, a lot of fans who listen to this show, a few come to mind in particular, are going to be hearing what you talk about in terms of trying to keep this group together and just letting them grow, and it's going to be music to their ears. And number two, regarding you know fans thinking you guys are too hard on the team. I was one of those fans back in the day who, like when, whether it was you or Steph or, or, or Mark or whoever, saying something negative, and now I'm the one who when I write my newsletters or I say something on a podcast and I'll get people on my mentions or DMs or Substack comments be like how, the, how could you say this about this play?" I'm like I'm just saying what I'm seeing." I promise you it's not right. personal and I'm like right. and I occasionally I think back to when I used to get annoyed at you guys <laughs> and be like man the world is a funny place how it goes around comes around um, but so you that, guys are that's what, you guys are great. That's what I tell that's what i tell most critics if if you if you want go to
2: journalism school and come do it and work your way up and I'd be happy to hand this over it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's tea time for me now <laughs> no, I, 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 was, I was never jealous of, of mark Berman before this season
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what is mark doing right now it's probably Standing in the, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, under an umbrella on a golf course as it's downpouring. I,
2: I, I've, I've, I've seen him a couple times uh, this season, and he, he looks great. He's uh, looking, looking happily retired. I'm. Sh-
1: Listen, he got away so the Knicks could win. It was his sacrifice. That's the reason <laughs> I, the Knicks were good this year. No totally. Um, Steve Popper, you're a legend, man. Uh, seriously, thank you, uh, thank you for uh, all of your. Uh, off-air kindnesses over the years to to me personally. It Truly, I uh, can't thank you enough. And uh, we're lucky to have you. Don't, don't hold off on the tea times. You got to do this for another <laughs> few years at least.
2: Got a couple, got a couple more years. <laughs> okay. Thanks again, man. Anytime, guys.
1: All right. hope you enjoyed that interview with Steve. Steve's a great guy. And I know he kind of joked about it a few times on the show. Uh, I can assure anybody listening... Uh, Steve does not have it out for the Knicks or their fans. He is as fair as they come. And uh, I could say that because, you know, like I kind of briefly stated at the top, I did have the privilege of working alongside of him for for one season. And um, he's just a pro's pro in every way. And uh, he is uh, absolutely Uh, essential to the beat. I hope he continues writing about this team for a very long time and reporting on them and just generally offering his insight onto all things Knicks. So anyway, I hope you dug the show. If you like it as always, please take the time to go and uh, drop a five-star rating, leave a review and uh, show your support because that stuff helps us out. Uh, We will be back with some more fun content throughout the rest of this week. We got a Jeremy Cohen, uh, Live uh, show coming up uh, uh, tonight as you are listening to this on Wednesday night. And then we got Casual Fridays coming up. Uh, Also, shout out to all of our patrons out there. Uh, Andrew and I just dropped a Patreon episode uh, yesterday regarding uh, the Denver Miami series, as well as the very ridiculous Kyrie Irving, LeBron James rumors. And we will be dropping another Patreon episode uh, this Friday after the uh, after game three of Miami and Denver and previewing uh, what should be uh, again, either way, regardless of what happens in game three, a very exciting and meaningful game four. So all of that to look forward to. Uh, and then before you know it, we'll be in the thick of uh, of NBA rumor mill time season, whatever, because that stuff is going to pick up hot and heavy. Probably within the next week to 10 days, I would guess. So lots of good stuff on the way. Uh, Until then, enjoy yourselves and we will talk soon. Peace out.